Well, we are uh, continuing our series this morning um, that we are, as I've explained for the past couple of weeks, um, for the bulk of the year, we are going to be focusing on our identity in Jesus Christ. And so for the past four weeks now, we have been looking at different aspects of what it means for us to root our identity in Jesus Christ. And uh, just by way of quick review, remember why this is so important, because what we oftentimes ascribe worth to is what we will then oftentimes worship. And so it's really important that we understand or at least have a very healthy idea of how and what we use to define who we are. And so that is why we are spending the bulk of this year looking at and trying to really focus in on what does it mean for us to root our identity in Jesus Christ. Now this morning, it's going to be, how can I explain this, weird, maybe? Um, maybe weird. Um, I, I don't know. Um, I think, and as, as we go through the scripture today, my hope is, is that you'll kind of see a little bit as to why I believe, as evangelical Christians, why we sometimes struggle with the physical nature of our world and the spiritual nature um, uh, that Jesus Christ, that we seem to think that Jesus Christ focused in on. And, and I'll, I'll flesh this out, hopefully, very uh, as, we, as we move through today's passage. But hang with me, okay, church? Hang with me, because... Um, my hope is, is that um, as we work through today's passage, that we will once again be able to understand in a very personal way, in a very personal way, um, how and why we are rooted in Jesus Christ, even if we do not realize it. And today, what, I, what the passage will focus in on, that I think will, will stand as an incredibly important way for us to understand our identity in Jesus Christ, is to look at our own bodies, okay? And what I mean bodies, I mean our physical bodies as well as our spiritual bodies, because that is going to be incredibly important as we look at the passage that uh, Paul writes to this church in Corinth. If you've noticed, at least for the past now three weeks now, today included, uh, I have been just really camped in 1 Corinthians. And you might want to ask yourself, well, Dan, why? Is, is that the only area that we have to find our identity in Christ? No, it's not. But I think what's really interesting about this, and I've shared this before, is that this church in Corinth was really struggling with their identity in Jesus Christ. They were doing some really troubling things, right? Um, things that, that, although they were Christians, they hadn't quite yet figured out how to fully live as Christians. They were still hanging on to some of their past and some of their all, you know, other ways that they believed in pagan religions. And they're bringing some of that stuff in there. So some of the things that, and I won't get to that today, but um, ironically we're going to have communion. But in the church in Corinth, when they even came to communion, they were getting drunk at communion. I mean, that's, a, that's troubling. Can you imagine that? Right? Um, now, we don't serve real wine here at, at Summit Ridge, um, but there are churches that do, right? And, and I'll never forget the very first time I was in a church that had wine for communion because I grew up in a Methodist church that didn't serve wine either. Um, and so they're part of the purity movement kind of thing. And so the purity movement doesn't really allow alcohol in, in, in much of their gatherings or anything else like that. But I was in Washington, D.C., and I went to an Episcopalian church. 
I went to an Episcopalian church, and while there, um, we got the opportunity to have communion. And, and the way they did communion was common cup, right? In other words, the priest, you would drink from the same cup as everyone else drank from. Um, and the priest would just simply wipe the cup after you drank from it. And then the next person would drink from it, wipe the cup and drink from it. Uh, in the age of post-COVID or really living in COVID, that wouldn't fly anymore. But this was, this was in the 90s, and it was okay. And um, so my friend and I, who was with me, and he, had, he was not really a church-going person, but for some reason he decided to come with me that Sunday morning. And so we went down to receive communion, and as we drank from the common cup, it was like, oh, this is real wine. I didn't know this. This is real wine. We get back to our seat. And my friend turns to me and says, um, Dan, was that real wine? And I said, yeah, it, it really was. And he said, hmm, I think I'm going to go down again. <laughs> that was like the church in Corinth. On, and some, they were just abusing communion. I mean, they were just so troubled in trying to figure out who they were in Jesus Christ that they were doing things that were just really harmful. I mean, they were getting into arguments. They were, they were just... It was just awful and, and getting drunk at communion at times and just the gatherings were just a chaos and they were a mess. And so Paul is writing this to the church in Corinth, a church he planted, by the way, a church that he knew very well, a church that was still in some ways very young. And he was trying to help them root their identity, if you will, in Jesus Christ to help them realize, hey, church, this is who you are in Jesus Christ. So therefore, act like it. This is who you are in Jesus Christ. Therefore, act like you are rooted in Jesus Christ. And so, as we're going to come to the text today, um, one of the things that Paul does, because he understands that they have come from a pagan background, that some of their previous worship practices were not what we might call God-honoring, that we might call uh, actually very sinful and broken and really messed up and distorted. But nonetheless, Paul has to address it. And what I hope that we'll see here in today's passage is that that we'll see that why our bodies are so important reminders that we are rooted in jesus christ and we may not realize it yet does that make sense um if it doesn't make sense hopefully it will by the end and if it doesn't come back next sunday and we'll try it all over again amen there you go um sometimes the pastor doesn't always hit home runs right Sometimes it just isn't the case, and that's all right, because the Spirit is the one that matters the most, and let the Spirit work in our hearts this morning. So, with that in mind, here's what I hope that we'll discover. There are three things that I think that are really key for us to understand about why our bodies are such important reminders that we are indeed rooted in Jesus Christ. And the first one is this. God cares deeply about your body. He cares deeply about my body. He cares deeply about our bodies. Okay? Now, let me explain what I mean by this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and Paul has just gone over lawsuits being discouraged among believers and all this kind of stuff, and now he gets to a very interesting section dealing with the body. Okay, Last week, we looked at the body as whole, as like the church. This week, we're going to look at the body as individual, our bodies specifically. And this is what Paul writes, beginning with verse 12 in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. He says this, All things are permitted for me, but not all things are of benefit. All things are permitted for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Now, interesting that he starts off this passage 
with this saying. Essentially, what he is doing is quoting back to the Corinthians a philosophy that they may have believed, and that is, oh, I am free in Christ, therefore, I can do anything that I want. I am free to do anything that I want to do. After all, Christ gave me, gave, gave me freedom, and now I have freedom. I can do whatever I want to do because I am now free in Christ. And Paul writes to say, time out, that's not what that means, freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ doesn't mean that we get to do whatever we want to do. That's not what freedom in Christ is. And he goes on and he says, yes, you do have freedom. But in that freedom, that not everything that we do is beneficial. And therefore, what he is saying is that, guess what? Be careful how you exercise your freedom. Even though even, even freedom in Christ comes with boundaries. Okay? Thank goodness we live in a country that celebrates and prizes freedom. But it's freedom with restraint, right? If we don't... I don't have the right to go and harm another person just because I want to harm that person. We have laws, we have standards, we have expectations, whatever you want to call them, that, that kind of keeps our freedoms in check so that within normal, good, healthy boundaries, we can experience good and oftentimes wonderful freedom. And so Paul is saying the same thing. Listen, yes, we are free in Christ, but that doesn't give us the opportunity to do whatever we want, even freedom in Christ, there are healthy boundaries that have to be followed. Because if they are not, chaos erupts. Can you imagine a church where everyone believed that because of freedom in Christ, we can do whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted to, to whomever we wanted to do it to? Do you imagine, Do you know what a church like that might look like? Yeah, chaos. I don't have a clue what a church like that looks like. It might look a little bit like this church in Corinth. Absolute chaos. Absolute just pandemonium. Not understanding anything about who Jesus is and what proper worship of Jesus is and how we interact with each other in a healthy way. So Paul starts that off, and then he says this in verse 13. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. However, God will do away with both of them. Now, interesting, right? What does that mean? What I think Paul is essentially saying there is, listen, there are things that we, can, that we can put into our bodies that will not necessarily impact our religious experience, our worship of God. And again, he's talking to a people who used to eat things sacrificed to idols, that in eating that food, there was a belief that when they were eating that food, that they all of a sudden would in some ways ingest or, or take on the spirit of that idol in doing so, and therefore they could once again honor that idol because they have the spirit of that idol within them, okay? So Paul is addressing that and says, no, no, that's not the way it works, okay? Food sacrificed to idols isn't going to make you an idol worshiper, okay? It's not going to happen. Why, why does Paul believe this? Very simple biological reason. What goes in goes out. It's temporary okay it's temporary so guess what church you can eat you can eat there is freedom in eating food amen can you imagine what our church would do if there were restrictions i can't imagine what that would be like i can't 
oh, I, I don't even want to picture it. There wouldn't be pies thrown in my face at that point. There'd be, I mean, it, it would be a lot worse. I mean, Paul says, guess what? Don't focus in on the food. That is not what's important here. So in other words, the Corinthians were worried about what kinds of food they might have been eating. Never mind, Paul says, that's not what's important. Here's what is important. And he goes on, he says something very interesting. But the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. I'll come to that in just a little bit. He explains this a little bit more later on in the passage. But for now, let's go on to verse 14. Now, God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know, Paul asks, that your bodies are parts of Christ, right? So all of a sudden now, Paul lays out the fact that, hey, guess what? Our bodies, God cares about them. And the reason why he cares about them, I believe, are two reasons. One is this, he created them. Genesis was very clear about this. In the book of Genesis, at the first chapter, you can read, first and second chapter even, even the third chapter, you can read that the fact that he took man and he created humans from the dust of the earth, and in that he breathed his spirit in to humans and so he created our bodies we have these bodies because god created them and i just want to just say this the diversity of the bodies even in this room speaks and this is the second reason why i think god cares deeply speaks to the image of god himself we reflect god's image even physically now i don't want to get too detailed i mean god has two arms two legs mm-hmm. maybe not not necessarily that's not what i want to focus in on jesus does we'll get there um but god himself maybe not so much but nonetheless we still even reflect god's image even in our physical bodies let me give you some fun facts about your body and my body we started off as one cell And we grew into over a hundred trillion cells. Our bodies are made up of approximately 100 trillion cells. 100 trillion cells. They all come from the division of one single cell. Every minute, think about this, 300 million cells die. But that's really just a small fraction of the total cells we have. We produce 300 billion cells new cells every day, and our body is constantly repairing itself and rebuilding itself. I don't know about you, but I think that speaks a little bit about who God is. God is one who is in transformation and in new life, and our body is doing that all the time. The the reality is even cancer, as horrible as cancer is. You know what cancer, I heard a doctor share a little bit about what cancer is trying to do. Cancer is the disruption or, the, or kind of the, the tragic result of cells reproducing at an unhealthy way or an in an unhealthy way or unhealthy manner. And as a result, what cancer is trying to do, as much as what healthy cells were trying to do, is create a new being out of that. It's just that cancer can't do it. It's a corruption of the, repro- of the, of the replication of cells. But it's trying to create a new body out of it. It can't do it. It just can't do it. So think about this. I mean, every single day, we are getting new cells. We are almost in every single day, think about this, a new creation. A new creation. 
Your brain and my brain is an amazing supercomputer. The brain is composed of 80% water. Okay, great. But the brain can hold five times as much information as the Encyclopedia Britannica. And not only that, nerve impulses travel at 170 miles per hour. Oh, and it does this on the same amount of, a pow of power as a 10-watt light bulb. That is amazing. Hair today, this is important for me. Every day, the average person loses 60 to 100 strands of hair. I, uh, I might be above average. But there's good news. We have to lose over 50% of our scalp hairs before anyone notices. Also, hair is virtually indestructible. Aside from flammability, which we can certainly burn hair, hair, human hair that is, decays at such a slow rate that it is practice, practically non-disintegratable. It's amazing. Hair lasts a long time, doesn't it? Right? If you don't believe me, look at your furniture. Um, your heart works its heart out for you and me. The human heart creates enough pressure to squirt blood 30 feet. Such pressure is needed to pump blood through 60,000 miles of veins and capillaries, which are in us. Think about that. 60,000 miles of veins and capillaries are in us. The heart pumps six quarts of blood, circulating three times every minute. In one day, your blood travels a total of 12,000 miles. Have you ever thought about just sitting right there, right now, this is what your heart is doing? And you don't even think about it. Your skin is the ultimate touchscreen. Each square inch of your skin includes 40 yards of nerve fibers, 600 pain sensors, 1,300 nerve cells, 9,000 nerve endings, 36 heat sensors, 75 pressure sensors, 100 sweat glands, 3 million cells, and 3 yards of blood vessels. That is just in each square inch of your, of your skin. Oh, and by the way, we shed about eight pounds of skin every single year. If you don't believe me, just look at your end tables and your counters where there's dust. What do you think that dust is? That's your skin, by the way, right? So when you're dusting, you're dusting yourself. Just think about that, all right? Your eyes, our eyes, are a study in genius. Our eyes can distinguish up to one million color surfaces and take in more information than the largest existing telescope. That's crazy. People blink once every four seconds. That's because eyelashes act as windshield wipers, keeping dust, skin, and grime from getting into the eye itself. It's amazing. Oh, and the last one. You can't hide from your fingerprints. Just three months into a pregnancy, an unborn child already has fingerprints. At just six to 13 weeks of development, the distinctive uh, whorls have already developed. Interestingly, those fingerprints will never change throughout a person's life. And your fingerprints are your own unique barcode indicating the true miracle that you and I are. Church, have you ever thought about that, about your own human body in that way? This is the way God created us. 
And I don't know about you, but I think it is in many ways a testament to who He is. Even our own physical bodies tell the world who God is. Just in the way that we have been created. Just in the way that our physical bodies are constantly transforming and changing. And not only that, guess what? They're alive! Do you want to know that God is alive? Because we're alive. We're His representations. That's why He tells Israel early on, have no idols. There are no idols you can make of me, so don't even try. Don't make me an idol and think that a tree trunk represents all of who I am or that, or that you know, some sort of insect or whatever is, is who I am. No, no, no. I am much bigger than all of those things. I am much bigger than all of those things. I am, I am the creator of everything. And you know what? All of you, my followers, are enough to show the world who I am. Because not only, not only are you diverse, not only are you unique and in that you're individuals, but more than that, above everything else, you're alive. And because you're alive, we know that God is. Are you with me? God cares deeply for your body and my body. He cares deeply for it. Paul writes this. He knows this. And not only that, it's interesting that the word that Paul uses for body is the word soma. It's a Greek word. Last week, I talked about the word sarks as as the carnal, sinful body. This is not that word. Soma that Paul uses here is much much bigger than that. It, 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 It symbolizes a whole body, physical and spiritual together. It even can symbolize the heavenly bodies and even used as describing the church. That's the word he uses to describe our bodies. It is, it is that combination of both physical and spiritual. It is whole. It is the whole package. That is what Paul is referring to here when he's talking to the Corinthians. God cares deeply about your body and my body. And here's another reason why God cares about our bodies, and it's this. Our body, your body, my body, is a part of Christ's body. Paul says this in verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are parts of Christ? Think about that. We are part of Christ's body. And it's not just in the spiritual sense, church. It's also in the physical sense. Jesus Christ had a physical body. In fact, I think he still does, even in heaven right now. Right? I think he still does. He still has his body. Why do I think he still has his body? We'll we'll learn about this in three weeks, but I'll let you in on a little secret. The tomb was empty. Nothing was in it. It's not as though the disciples got there and said, oh, Jesus is gone. Well, how do you know? Well, his spirit's gone. It's just his body here. No, no, all of it. The soma, the entire body was resurrected. The whole thing. And how do we know this? Because Jesus appeared before his disciples in bodily form. It wasn't just in this ghostly form that we may sometimes think it was where he's passing through walls and certainly that may be the case. No, how do I know this? Because he actually ate with his disciples. It actually says that. It was his physical body as well as his spiritual body. It was the whole thing. We are part of Christ's body. And no wonder Paul says this. Shall I then take away the parts of Christ and make them parts of a prostitute? Far from it. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. 
So flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin that a person commits is outside the body. But the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Now here's where Paul says, guess what? You can eat what, whatever you want to eat. Just passes through. But here's what you cannot do and what you should not do is be incredibly careful about how you treat your body. And in this case, he cites out sexual immorality. Now, why does he pull that one out? Well, chances are part of the pagan practices that perhaps the Corinthians might have been involved in was part of their pagan practices was to sleep what were known with temple prostitutes. Okay, And in doing so, what they were trying to do is replicate the creative nature that happens when two are joined together in that way. And in so doing, we're trying to inspire their gods to whomever they were worshiping to also create. Give us a bountiful harvest, whoever we're serving. And they would look at that act and say, oh yeah, we should create as well. In other words, their gods were passive. And it was only through the actions of their followers that the gods would begin to act. Does that make sense? That's not the God whom we serve. The God whom we serve is the I am. The I am. And by the way, that essentially means he's the one who causes everything. He's not the one who is just waiting for things to happen. He's the one who acts. He doesn't have to wait for us to do something in order to act. He acts already. Our God is already active. He doesn't need us to inspire him to act. Okay? That's not the way this works. But more than that, what Paul is, is indicating here is, and this is why this is so important, sexual intimacy, as Paul points out here, is not just a physical act, but a spiritual one. It represents a unity, a bond that's part of the greater story of creation, sin, and even redemption. Okay? In other words, when sex is experienced in the proper bounds of a covenant relationship, and this is important, a covenant relationship, it in many ways replicates the covenant relationship that we as followers of Jesus have with him. And that because we have that covenant relationship, we have freedom. And not only that, it tells the greater story of this is what God had wanted all along. He wants us with him in a covenant relationship, in a whole healed relationship. And in doing so, when we come together in that way, in a properly covenant relationship, that we all of a sudden now testify that this is what God had wanted all along, that this is his story. This is what he wants for every single one of us, is, be, is to be joined with him in a covenant relationship that is now redeemed and restored. And what Paul says here is, if you join your body with an, a, a prostitute, or if you're an adulterer who's doing this, that because you are not a person in your own right, but, repre, but, but instead now, you represent the brokenness and separation that the world and even the cosmos has from Jesus. By joining yourself and committing adultery or joining yourself with prostitutes or whatever it is in, 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 in a way that is unhealthy and not in the covenant relationship, you now reflect back the fact that we are in a fallen, broken world. And not only that, a fallen, broken universe. That's what this means. Our bodies are important. They are representative of Christ's body. And why would we ever want to associate our bodies with things that are not in a good covenant relationship to represent the fact that he has redeemed us, that he has saved us. Why would we not want to in, in, in be a part of that? So we have to be very careful 
with how we join our bodies. And Paul picks this one particular act out because this perhaps was the one that they dealt with the most. And he says, this should not be. Now, sometimes I agree as Christians, we sometimes get the label as being prudes, right? Or old-fashioned or out of date when it comes to marriage relationships, right? And I think it's a failure on a couple of different fronts as to maybe why we get that label. One is this. I think sometimes um, we may act like it. I get it. Um, I think number two is we may not or may have forgotten the larger picture of what that symbolizes. When a man and a woman come together in relationship like this, in sexual intimacy, what that signifies, what it actually is saying. It is much greater than just the act itself. It is the spiritual and physical joining of two people as one, as we joining with Jesus Christ as one. That is a greater, and in doing so, we proclaim to the world, we show the world as we as Christians join together with Jesus Christ as one, that this has been God's plan from the very beginning to bring healing to his world. Sexual intimacy is a small part, but an incredibly important part of that overall narrative. So let me just say this, for those of you who are married today, when you engage in that, you're going to church. It's a holy, precious, beautiful thing. And why would we ever want to ever join ourselves with anything other than that person whom we have entered into a covenant relationship with. It is adultery, but to God, if we did that to him, it would be considered idolatry. And it's wrong. It's outside of the realm. And by the way, there is great freedom within that. There is just great freedom within that. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So because of that Paul then finally says, and this is really important, because God cares about our bodies and because our body is a part of Christ's body, Paul then for, therefore says the following, honor God with your body. Honor God with your body. Paul says this in verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 6, flee sexual immorality. Let me just give you an idea of what that Greek word flee means. It means flee. It means run. It means get out of there quickly. It means get away from it as fast as you can. Do not allow yourself to be in that situation. And if you find yourself in a situation like that, get out of it as quickly as possible. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin that a person commits is outside the body. But this, the sexual immoral person, sins against his own body. And then he says this in verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought for a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. We have been bought with a price. Yes, it is true. Every single one of us, our bodies are a temple of God. We are, a, we are a temple of where God, His Spirit, temporarily dwells in. We are, we, are, we are His temples. We are His temple. And therefore, 
all of a sudden now, we have to realize that our bodies are not our own. Our bodies have been purchased, have been ransomed. And how were they ransomed? Very easily, very simply. Jesus Christ's death on the cross. Wait, wait, Dan. I thought that was just a spiritual, you know, ransoming. I thought Jesus just came to save me spiritually. No, no, church. He did not came to save us spiritually. And by the way, if he just wanted to come and save us spiritually, he would never have had to die on the cross to do that. Okay? No, no. God wasn't just interested in saving us spiritually. He wanted to save us in a completely whole way. And that includes our physical selves as well as our spiritual selves. And in order to do that, Jesus came and he died on the cross and had implications both spiritually and physically. And it does for us as well. He redeemed us whole, spiritually and physically, our bodies and our souls by his death on the cross, period. That's it. It wasn't just a spiritual act that Jesus did on the cross. It was a physical act, period. That's it. So let me hurt your brain for just a little bit, real quick. So you might be thinking, so Dan, does that mean I'm going to have a new physical body in heaven? No. You're going to have a new physical body on a new created earth. Wait a minute, Dan, I'm not going to heaven? I believe we will for a time. But remember, God's plan has always been a new heaven and a new earth. And we will once again dwell on this planet that he has made for us so that we could glorify him and enjoy him. That day will come. And so, yes, we will have new bodies, but not yet. But not yet. But not yet. We will have new bodies. By the way, I just want to say this. I always think it's funny that we've got some very wealthy people nowadays that are trying to find the key to life eternal. Right? They want to live eternally. Like they want to be cryogenically frozen and then, you know, experience life again. Like they never want to die. Let me just say this in some weird sort of way, and I hope this makes sense. I believe the fact that our bodies age. I believe the fact that we get older. I believe the fact that we do not live forever is an act of mercy not an act of hatred or fallenness. Can you imagine wanting to live in your bodies that we currently have for eternity? I mean, I don't know about you, I have to constantly exercise just to keep this going. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I mean, it's hard. I mean, just, you know, I I hit 40, right? And I went to see the eye doctor. And the eye doctor says to me, Dan, uh, would you like bifocals? I said, no. And I'm offended that you asked me. Well, guess what, church? I have progressive lenses. They're bifocals. You just can't see the line. Why? Because I can't see as well anymore. I'm getting older right? Some of you are finally saying about time, right? I mean, this is just, this is, I think, an act of mercy. Yes, we will get new bodies. I realize that it's hard for us that we just think that Jesus came just to save our souls. No, church, hear me. Jesus came to save all of us, our physical as well as our spiritual nature. The soma, all of us, not just half of us or a part of us, 
all of us. That's what he wants to redeem. That's what he came to save. And we need to understand this. Jesus cares as much about the physical world as he does about the spiritual world because he created all of it and he cares for all of it. And all of it glorifies him, period. All of it does. And so Paul says this in, in a very powerful way about how we can honor God with our body. Romans 12.1 says this, and I'll end here. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, I love this, by the mercies of God, have you ever thought about the fact that the only reason why we're here today is because of God's mercy? That you and I have no rights at all to be in his presence? That the Ark of the Covenant, that the cherubims that are at the top of that Ark, that they represent what we call the mercy seat, not the judgment seat, that's really important to understand, there's a difference there, that that throne is a mercy seat, that's what, that's what it's called, not a judgment seat, that we get to come before the God who is merciful to us. And he says this, by the mercies of God, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to present your bodies, soma, physical and spiritual, the whole thing, as a living, we're alive, and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual, or another way to say that, which is your true or accurate service of worship. Church, singing on Sunday mornings, praying on Sunday mornings, giving on Sunday mornings, hearing a message on Sunday mornings, isn't the main act of worship. One of the main acts of worship is how we treat our bodies. And that's every single day. Every single day. That is our spiritual act of worship. That is our true act of worship, is how we treat our physical and spiritual body. And I'm just going to say body, not bodies, not two separate things. It's all together, right? I've heard this say, you ever have someone say, I'm there with you in spirit? How many of you ever heard someone say that? I'm there with you in spirit. Do you know what that means? Absolutely nothing. I can't separate my spirit from my physical body. I, I love it. I, I, I get what they're saying, and I love that. It's very encouraging. Don't get me wrong. But it's still, I, I can't, it's all part and parcel. That's what it is. So church, understand this. If you ever question yourself and who you are in Jesus Christ, if you ever question your identity, I want to encourage you, just look at your body. Look at your arms. Look at your feet. Look at your hands. God made you. God made you. And he, by the way, doesn't make junk. Do you know what he said after he made human beings? I mean, after he made the skies and the seas and the land, he said, oh, this is good, this is good. And then he makes humans. And you know what he says after this? Oh, this is very good. This is very good. Don't you ever let anybody tell you you are anything less than God's own. Don't you let anybody tell you that you are ugly, that you are unwanted, that you are not desirable. Don't you let anybody tell you that. You are more beautiful, you are more desired, you are more wanted than you could possibly ever imagine because God created you and he loves you 
and he wants you to be with him. Amen.